To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? We've got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you, and it's a special one. It's our 100th episode. Um, I'm just so humbled by the support of the podcast, and I'm also so proud at the content that we put out. Uh, you know, we've really hit our stride as a podcast, and, and we found our niche. And, and our niche is, is putting out the absolute best Western hunting information we can and, and also trying to package it in an entertaining way too, because if, if you guys aren't enjoying listening to it or if it's dry, you know, you can't sit through it to get the good information. So, um, it's just been a fun journey for me trying to improve at this platform of podcasting. And, you know, I, I think I have a common thread with you guys. I, I'm a blue collar working class guy that, that just has a ton of passion for Western hunting. And so, you know, I, what I find interesting and, and bring attention to, you guys find interesting. And, and so, you know, I'm just constantly theorizing about, you know, different themes for conversation for the podcast, different guests, and, and how I can make this this whole thing better. And and uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to work hard at that to bring you guys the absolute best content I can. I just can't thank you enough for all the support. So on today's podcast, I sit down with Eastman's crew. We're on a podcast tour. We get some great recordings on this tour. And this is a, a late night where we finish up dinner and we get back to the to the hotel room and, and I just hit record and we kind of start with a theme of backcountry mishaps and this is what comes out. So this is a really fun one. It's it's lighthearted. There's a lot of laughs, um, a lot of ribbing and, and back and forth. And then also, you know, some great information about attitude, keeping yourself safe in the backcountry, and and hopefully you guys learn from our mistakes and and shorten your learning curve. Um, it, it's just it, it's so prevalent when you're on a backcountry hunt is is your safety is directly affected by the decisions you make, and and life is dangerous, right? Driving in a car is dangerous, but you just don't think about it, and it. It's so in the forefront of your mind when you're on these backcountry hunts. It's making the right decisions to keep yourself safe. And so that's really what this podcast is all about. But some great laughs, life lighthearted, and I just really enjoy hanging out with the Eastman. So this one is done with uh, Guy Eastman, Ike Eastman, Brandon Mason, and Scott Reekers. And these guys have just welcomed me into the Eastman's family. And they just include me in the these conversations about the the future of the podcast and in these meetings, um, you know that are that are way above my pay raise and and let me sit in on them and uh, it, it's just been a, a great experience for me and I can't thank those guys enough for their support on, on the podcast and and writing and filming and the different things that I've done uh, but they're just great guys and and a wealth of knowledge whether it's business or Western hunting uh, these these guys are are really intelligent and know their stuff and so. It's fun to to be able to have these these deep conversations with them and and to learn from them. So really fun podcast. I enjoyed it, and I'm sure you guys will too. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Onyx. Uh, Onyx has just changed the way that I scout and hunt. 
uh, we stopped by and did a podcast with these guys on the tour, and it's a great podcast. I'm really excited to release it to you guys because we we talk about on X, and then we talk about you know I call it. Uh, technical uh technology cheats but it's actually just features they have on their onyx you know i'm just behind the times or they just offer so many different features on their program that it takes a long time to figure out everything you can do and, and then be able to utilize it and so um to sit down with these guys on the podcast and have them give me different uh, you know secrets and tricks that they use with their app and with their phones uh, was really enlightening and so i think you guys will get a lot out of it too but what a great company um on x uh when you when you get a membership you can use it on your computer you can use it on your phone uh you don't have to have cell service to have it work you just have to save the maps that you need and then your gps will still work in your phone without cell service um, it, it's just an awesome tool for, for scouting. Um, and then also in real time to be able to look at my phone and see aerial imagery, to be able to see topography and then all the different overlays that they have and they're private and public. It just gives you confidence in, in where you're hunting, that you are hunting your public ground. And it gives you confidence to be able to adapt in real time to, to the conditions that you're seeing and where you're seeing the critters. And so, uh, like I say, it has totally changed the way I scout and hunt. It is an absolute great app, great company. Um, and I can't thank those guys enough for supporting the podcast. So make sure to go check them out, you guys, on X Maps. And with that, uh, let's get this thing rolling. So it's me and the Eastman's crew, Eastman's Elevated, 100th episode. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here with the Eastmans. We're on an Eastmans tour. Um, this is just wait. We don't have guy on the remote. Yet. <laughs> he'll he'll get on the microphone. We'll be get fine. off social media. <laughs> it's uh it's authentic. I couldn't uh, plan this any other way. So uh, we just went out to dinner. Going to meet with Onyx tomorrow, but we're just sitting in the motel room. We've got uh, the four. Uh, I guess we've got five of us together. I'll count myself in the mix. <laughs> this um, is not the way I pictured this. <laughs> right. Uh, makes for the best podcast, but I've got Ike Eastman, Guy Eastman, I've got Brandon Mason, and I've got Scott Reekers. And so we just want to talk over uh, the podcast made it to 100 episodes. I can't believe it. And uh, just thanks to you guys, your hard work and support and uh, um, gosh, I, just support me on the podcast and believing in it. And uh, we just keep pushing this. So I can't wait for the next 100 episodes. But well, we're going to do one today on uh, mishaps in the backcountry, so this ought to be a good one. Uh, so Brandon's got a great story he wants to start us off with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put the pressure on me. I said to begin with it, all I have is poop stories. <laughs> it's, I, I'm uh, legendary really in those crappy, circles. Crappy podcast. <laughs> well, we could do at least an hour on just my poop stories, but I'll just share one. Um, We've one all of, been there, by the way. <laughs> one of my first... Uh, True backpacking, backcountry trips. Um, I was in the Wind River Range in, in Wyoming. And, uh, you know, for anybody that starts backpack hunting, you know that you kind of learn by trial and error, and, and especially with the gear. And uh, I thought I had everything pretty dialed in. I had a good buddy of mine, uh, Dave Klein, that was kind of coaching me along on what gear to bring, what to leave back. And, and uh, oh, I think we are in there five or seven days or something on the is last this where you packed a case of peanut butter 
Oh, pretty close to that. Yeah, no, it wasn't a case, but I, I thought I'm going to go uber lightweight, and I don't need all this fancy mountain house meals or anything like that. I'm just going to go all ramen noodles for every meal because who cares? It's only a week. And the, uh, about, I could do anything for seven days. <laughs> yeah, and about day two, I wanted to shoot myself, and uh, I started – you know, we was like a little kid in the cafeteria. You're trading lunches. You're like, hey, what are you doing with that oatmeal? Are you, are you, you going to eat that? So one of the last days I ate, I was so sick and tired of ramen noodles, I couldn't even stand it. And uh, I looked at Dave and asked him if he'd trade me some oatmeal packets for some ramen noodles. And uh, he, I think I ate four packages of oatmeal that day. And I just coincidentally happened to be running out of toilet paper at the same time. And uh, the next morning I woke up and I was completely <laughs> out of toilet paper. and But I had a perfectly good tube sock. And so uh, <laughs> I was up before anybody else in camp and I made a deposit in the backcountry, which I know I shouldn't do in the wilderness, but it was necessary. you got to pack know, that stuff out. I know you're supposed to pack that out, but I wasn't packing any of that crap out, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, we all have been there, haven't we? Uh like uh, I have, I have shirts that I go through that are missing <laughs> sleeves. I have belly shirts that are, <laughs> that are going through. Like for some reason, it's the most essential item you can have in your pack, but it's the one thing you forget. Like on a day hunt yep. or even a short backpacking trip, you know, you should have a checklist. But I can remember everything <laughs> I need except the toilet paper, and and nobody wants to be the guy that has to ask for it either. Right? I think we need to talk to Sika and see if they can come with perforated sleeves on their garments <laughs> so it's easy to tear off, and then we'll be all set. For the record, I, for one, am not above asking for toilet paper. <laughs> I'd rather do that than rip my sick in perforated. <laughs> so I've left in various places around this great country. I've left bandanas and socks. And shirt sleeves and ski masks. Are you like robbing the backcountry? <laughs> you may have a problem. Like my dad said, why don't you just pack toilet paper for Pete's sake? It's like, well, I don't think I'm going to need it. But I guess that's where the McGriddle comes in, you know. It just kind of runs through you and you got to deal with it. So. The mix. Shut yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, the top of socks are definitely like those are choice items. That comes first, right? <laughs> They're then, above the boots. What do you need that for? Yeah, you don't. Yeah, and then uh, then sleeves are next for me, uh, and then I will have a belly shirt if need be. But uh, if it's an emergency, it's got to happen. Oh man, when I was uh, working for the game and fish department back in the day, I I had a sudden attack in the field. And uh, I came back to the office with a Game of Fish muscle shirt on uh, because I left a deposit of sleeves. And they had an award uh, for the employee who did the stupidest thing throughout the year called the Headless Doe Award. They had the rear end of a white-tailed doe mounted on a plaque with a tail up and uh, names professionally in inscribed on this plaque. And you had to hang it in your office for a year. And at the time, I think I was a private lands biologist. And so I had private landowners and ranchers you know coming into my office all the time to deal with contracts and things and every one of them would sit there in the chair and look up at this rear end of a white-tailed doe hanging on my wall like I, I i don't get it why do you have the butt of a doe on your wall so i'd have to tell them the poop story where i almost crapped my pants when i was uh, in the field <laughs> as a game of fish biologist so how, yeah. how many names were ahead of you oh man 20 
gosh. Yeah, that thing, it's still going. I find it hard to believe that that's the dumbest thing I've given fish and <laughs> in a year. That's got to be fake news, Brando. It is fake news because everybody is so paranoid about getting that award that people lie through their teeth, you know, that they didn't. They didn't want to have that thing. It was a shirt office. that gave, ratted you out. Yeah, I couldn't hide it. You couldn't that. avoid it. No. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> the stories that weren't told. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's things that I hid, so I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> that was your third best story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Uh, it it is such a learning process in the backcountry. You talk about like that ramen for days. For some reason, you've got this tough guy attitude when you start that you can survive off anything. And I remember I was planning, you know, one of my first backcountry hunts, and I, you know, I learned from my family. And it was it was back in the day where you there wasn't a lot of literature on on how to backpack hunt yeah. or how to pack effectively. And so, I mean, we'd pack in. We drank Coca-Colas. That's what we packed in to drink in our backpacks. It was ridiculous. And just all the worst food, just Twinkies and Ho-Hos and ding dongs just anything to give you energy. And so when I moved to, to Montana and I wanted to continue to backpack hunt, I thought, well, I got to I gotta evolve this a little bit, you know. And so I make this plan to go in for this backcountry elk hunt. And I've scouted this spot, and I'm kind of new to Montana. And, and uh, so then you, you go the other way where you pack everything. Like, I swear my pack for a three-day trip was 90 pounds. I had <laughs> eggs in there and egg cartons to keep them from breaking. I had bacon. I, I didn't eat any of that stuff in there, you know, for three days. But it is such a— bear bait. Yeah, oh, I was bear bait. Yeah, just walking around, just a newbie. I, and I think I did see a grizzly track that just scared the heck out of me at the time. Like, I was new to Montana, and I came from Washington, where you're kind of afraid of cougars and different things. And I think I, I had to go to the creek for water, and I— saw a grizzly track in there and and uh that put the fear of god into me and just know you got those, the backcountry boogeyman yeah the just the there's real life monsters in the woods around you <laughs> you know that's spooky I've, I've had some close encounters with those things but it is an evolution we all just have to learn by making mistakes or hopefully you pick up on information you know nowadays yeah. the information day and age you're listening to a podcast or um, you know, you're reading a forum or something of that nature, a, a magazine, and you get to pick up on this information and get to, to, to quicken your learning curve where you don't have to pay all those hard knocks like we did back in the day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember saying, I don't need to spend the money on Sika gear. That stuff's too expensive, you know? And I mean, I'm tough enough. I'll just pack my wool clothing in, which was on that same first pack trip. Yeah, that was the last time that I did that. I mean, I, my pack was so ridiculously heavy, and then I started investing in better gear, and, man, it just makes all the difference. Yeah, you start cutting things out. I remember you know, a couple more backpacking trips along. I started to get that minimalist attitude, and, yeah, I, so I, I had my meals all planned out, and I was 10 days with my dad hunting elk during the rut. And I figured, okay, I've got a mountain house for dinner, and I'll just bring, you know, I don't eat much. I, I work all day long, so I'll just bring a cliff bar for breakfast, cliff bar for lunch, <laughs> and a mountain house for dinner. I'll be fine for 10 days. I about starved to death in there. You don't realize how many calories you burn. And to this day, I still can't eat another cliff bar. <laughs> Poison myself on those things. Oh, totally. But yeah, we all just have to evolve as we go. Um, there is so much adventure in the backcountry, but there's so much danger, too. Uh, it, it's just amazing what you can run into um, back in there. I, you know, I've had so many um, different experiences that have really shaped my life, you know, being into animals, but, but also 
making mistakes in the backcountry, and you really have to learn from those. So toilet paper is a major one. That's one you don't want to forget back there. Your food, getting that dialed in, you know, that's a major one as well. Um, but then, you know, things just don't go as planned as you get in the backcountry and you, you've got – you know, you think you've got it all figured out and all of a sudden it'll rain for five days straight back there. And you realize that these lightweight fabric tents are not made to withstand <laughs> that kind of water. You know, pretty soon you're sleeping in a lake, you know, it's, it's crazy what I you have to deal remark. with. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, having a tent in the backcountry, I've been flooded in my tent more times. Um, they build good, lightweight shelters, and they work 90% of the time. But you get that 10% where you get that downpour. And I think those lightweight tents, I think you have to waterproof them every year. And if you don't waterproof them, when you get those downpours, it starts leaking on you, and all of a sudden you can't get your sleeping bag wet, and so you're curled in a little ball in your tent, and you're trying to soak up the water with your clothes on there. Um, countless times in a tent, I know I've been soaking wet, and, and thank God man has fire, or I'd, you know, I'd never be able to dry out and survive back there. Yeah, that's a, it's one of those things where you, you go, gosh, I'm, I am not packing more than three pounds. T- I'm not going to pack a three-pound tent in. I'm just not going to do it. It's under three pounds. And then you get back there, and it snows for four days, and you can't move the snow in the middle of the night. And so not only are you getting moisture through the fabric, but you're also getting condensation, and you're sleeping in a lake. And on day three, you're going, what? I, I should have packed a 12-pound tent. Is there a wall tent available? I would have done that. <laughs> And you're swimming around inside there. Everything's wet. It it's uh yeah. I I, I resemble that remark. I, I I literally poured out enough water out of a tent one time to fill the the cup that I'd been using for my oatmeal. <laughs> I filled it because there was just a lot of stupidity, a lot of stupidity. But you learn those things and that. I think the key to success is being able to take those experiences and learn from them and make better decisions the next time. Or actually the true meaning of success is listen to my dumb butt story and learn from my dumb butt experience and not make that same experience or that same mistake in the future. And that's why everybody listens to podcasts and, and becomes a better hunter. Oh, isn't that the truth? Um, yeah. If, if you could, learn from my mistakes the the trials and tribulations and the hard knocks of learning that backcountry um yeah it's brutal and it takes years if you can shorten that learning curve you better do so and pay attention to any information you hear but yeah and a lot of that is is testing that gear too in adverse conditions like you say those lightweight tents are great on your back and it's great when it's sunshine and you know 70 degrees out but boy the minute those big storms come in and those big snowstorms and you bust a pole on your tent try to survive the next seven days with a busted pole on your tent i mean i've done it Uh, read the fine print it might be in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Or, um, boy, uh, or like uh, getting your boots wet or like oh. not having the right boots. I, I mean, on a and hunt. Then, and then you're wishing for the tops of your socks back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, but those um, boots, like Guy was telling us today about Tajikistan, and they were having to, it got 15 below that night. And, and I've been there where your boots are frozen solid in the morning, and you can't get them on. It's like trying to get on a ski boot that's two sizes too small. Yeah. You cannot fit your foot into that boot to get out to go hunt. Um, so, yeah, just having the, the right gear, waterproofing your gear, uh, testing it in adverse conditions. And then um, 
there's also like a little part of that where you just have to deal with things like things yes. are going to go wrong. Things are going to come up. You are going to forget something in your pack, no matter how good your checklist is or something's going to break on you or give way or, you know, like on, on my bow. Oh gosh, I've, I've had a number of things go wrong on my bow, but I remember on my goat hunt, um, I thought, well, I'm going to save weight. I'm not going to bring Alan there. And, and my quiver loosens up to where now it wants to swing on my bow every which direction. So now I've got to carry that thing for three or four days with a swinging quiver that I actually think I had to take off and then put back in my pack. And I, um, I had one, one backcountry hunt, like one of the toughest ones I've ever been on. And it's in like, I'll even say where it is. Go ahead and go there. You guys go test your <laughs> skills. In this place. Yeah. But it's in the mission mountains of Montana. And I heard that there's big mule deer in there. And I had searched for a good mule deer spot for 10 years for high country mule deer in Montana. And I, I finally found this spot in the missions and I saw the new world record in there. I saw bucks with kickers and stickers and extras and in every high mountain spot, you know, there, there's a buck on it or a group of bucks on it and in this country it doesn't look that big on a map and that's another fatal flaw is trying to judge your country by google earth like all those mountain ranges look so small on google earth it looks like you can walk all over there it's yeah, like they need a layer that's just little people <laughs> right they yeah. show some perspective <laughs> absolutely so i look at that thing and i figure i'm all over this mountain range heck i'll have this thing covered in three days and have to go hunt another range and uh, you get in there and the underbrush is just brutal the underbrush is six to 10 feet tall and you have to fight your way through all this willow brush. It takes you an hour to two hours to go a mile in this stuff. And then you break through this thick underbrush and you get to above tree line and above tree line is no better. It's these grass and flower slopes, but they're 60 and 70 degree slopes on grass. It just, they scare the heck out of you on grass. And then there's cliffs mixed into them and, and you can't even traverse from one basin to a next because the ridge lines get so steep on the north sides. But I decide I'm going to hunt this place and I scout it for a couple of no years. I wonder there's big deer in there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's no, it's no mystery. <laughs> and so, um, I go in there and I scout this place and I see some really good bucks and I go in there and I've got this one north face. It took me like three approaches to find a way up and over this, but I've got this way up and above it. And so I get up and I, I camp up on top of the ridge where I can see really well. And it starts getting getting quiet and getting dark and I'm starting to get settled into my tent. And all of a sudden I hear those noises inside your tent. And you guys know the, the back country and I've spent enough time in there. Like your mind plays tricks with you. You start hearing things and especially when you're by yourself back in there. But I start hearing something that's like, man, that's real. I can hear it. I, you know, I can hear rocks and I can hear it stepping. And like all of a sudden I'm convinced like that's a mountain lion coming into my tent. And so here I'm yelling at him like, hey, get out of here, kitty. Get out of here. And I'm yelling, you know, and they, they'd scamper off and I wouldn't hear anything. And so finally I'd start slipping back asleep and I'd hear something else and I'd wake up. And finally I figured out it's these high country pikas. <laughs> and, and, that's and, a slight different size. Yeah, <laughs> a slight different size, but there's a bunch of them. And every time I start to fall asleep, they start nibbling on my tent and on my gear outside my <laughs> tent. And so I'd yell at them and I'd shake my tent and then I'd start slipping asleep again and falling asleep. And uh, I'd hear them in there chewing again. And I wake up in the morning and those things, they've ravaged my gear. Like my, my tent straps are bitten off. I've got one lift strap on my pack that's bitten all the way through. So I can't lift the one side of my back. So now I'm lopsided. This is like day one in the back country. Like I just got in there. I've got 10 days worth of gear that I'm going to spend in here. And then I get to my bow and my bow, like my rest cable that pulls up my rest is chewed in half. 
Like I, my bow won't shoot. Can you and imagine so, if they had a chewed through your string? Oh, they could have so easily. That would have made a hell of a mess. Oh yeah, my hunt would have been over. There would have been no saving it. There would have been pikas all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I I would have thrown rocks at them for the rest of the <laughs> hunt. But so I I get I looking at my bow and you know I I know a couple knots you know fishing knots and I use this steelhead this Albright knot and I get that tied back together and you know, I shoot an arrow and it works. Oh, and also my string loop is about chewed through and so. I think I, I either had some string loop. It may have been a shoelace or something. I tie a new string loop on there. And so all of a sudden my bow's set up and I, I only have five arrows. That's all my quiver will hold. And I've got one field point. And so I find the softest piece of sand where I can kind of practice into it and shoot that first arrow into it. Of course, just explode that first arrow into a rock in there in the <laughs> sand pile, but it hits, you know, remotely where I want it to. So I trust my bow, but um, yeah, that, that place is just brutal. And also, like you don't think on those early season hunts or it's like a September hunt, September 5th. Um, I wouldn't think you'd see a mosquito in there. They are Satan's little creatures. Those things are everywhere. And they're just every time you stop. I've got no mosquito spray. Um, I actually had one mosquito wipe that was left in my pack by accident that I used for three days that hardly even worked. But every time you stop in your glass and you just hear that and they're landing on you and just hitting you and I've got mosquito bites upon mosquito bites, but that is the most brutal Thank mountain range. God, I had a floored shelter. Oh my gosh, yes, I did have a floored shelter, so at least I could get away from them in that tent. But um, the backcountry will test you, and some mountain ranges more than others. And that one sure tested me that year. But it's just amazing what can go wrong on a hunt, even when you plan for everything. Yeah, yeah. I re- I remember. Um, Guy told me this story, and uh, Guy, you told me this story about hunting in Idaho, and you told me this story, and it resonated with me. It was like one of the best stories I had heard, and you talked about this guy, and he was shooting a bull, and it fell off down into the river down there and was lost forever. Um, you remember that story you told me about Idaho hunting there? You were oh, hunt- it was on a pack horse. Yeah, you the were hunting an elk. Horse fell off. Yeah. The oh, was that what it was? The river, yeah. Oh, with the guy's bull on yeah, it, right? Yeah, with the guy's bull on it, and they yeah. thought it was dead, and and the dang pack horse beat us back to the trailhead <laughs> with with the bull completely intact, not a single point broken. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> the guy spent like four hours riding out, thinking his lifetime six point bull he'd hunted his whole life for was gone and busted up and down the river and history. And there it was sitting at the the trailer <laughs> waiting for grain. The horse with back. the rack on it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those guys can tie a knot. I'll give that to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. Um, well, you just got to be prepared for everything. But that um, that backcountry savvy, it sure comes into play on, on a lot of these hunts. Just things you can't plan for. And whether it's a horse hunt or a backpacking hunt or even just a day hunt, you're going to have things wrong, and you're going to have to figure it out and be able to problem-solve things. Or like it, a helicopter. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how uh, we're sitting in this nice place that has a roof over our heads. It's raining like a cow peeing on a flat rock outside, and we're thinking to ourselves, how, how did this all evolve? And it evolved from that, from people sitting in a tent going, hmm, it's raining outside and in here. We have to come up with a different plan. Or, gosh, this uh, noodle thing that I'm eating (laughs) with these chopsticks is not great. Let's come up with a different plan. It's funny how it's evolved. And now uh, there's a huge portion of us that are going back to our our paleo roots. That's pretty cool. And it's a big trend. 
It's a really big trend, which I commend. We've all known it for a long time, right, Brando? Yep. I just hope we don't go back to MRE roots. <laughs> <laughs> Those were bad days. Yeah, no kidding. But, you know, I mean, in all seriousness, though, sometimes, you know, the, we all th- dream of all the adventures in the off season and what we want to do and, and uh, hope we draw a certain tag. And, and it all sounds good on paper and sometimes even turn into a solo adventure. But it only takes one really bad incident to kind of, well, hopefully – not bad enough to where it threatens your life, but bad enough to where it scares you enough to realize that hunting with a, 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 a trusted hunting partner is, good, is a good thing. You know, uh, Scott and I had a death march out of packing out an elk one year, and I had way too much weight on my back. We both did, thinking we were Ironman. We're still on adrenaline kick from him shooting this nice bull, and, and let's just pack it all well, out. You guys had trip a grizzly thing at the same time. Well, right? that was the next year. Oh, okay. Yeah, same area. Um, but anyway, we were packing it out and um, literally had the entire boned-out elk on our backs um, between the two of us, which I know sounds... I wouldn't believe it if I didn't pull up in town when you got, and waited for you guys and yeah. saw the backpacks yeah, and it was, tried to pick them up myself. Yeah, and, and I mean, and I don't bring that up as a way of bragging. It was really stupid. It, w- it was foolish of us. We should have made multiple trips, but, Almost. you know, we're, we're being... You know, uh, we're high on adrenaline and all excited. We're going to pack this bull out. And we had about, I think it was like a six-mile pack out. And a half a mile into it, um, I lost my footing in a river rock dry uh, creek bed. And um, I started to face plant it with all this weight on my back. And, of course, what's your natural reaction? You're going to brace yourself with your arms. And uh, I've never had joint separation problems or anything with all the sports I've played in my life or anything. And and as I was falling, lost my my footing, I fell face first in this crick bed and my left shoulder completely dislocated and popped back in. So the good thing is it popped back in, but I mean, the pain was just terrible. And uh, so initially the pain and then it went numb from the shoulder down. Scott heard all the commotion, looked back saw the look of terror, I'm sure, on my face. And uh, I was, so the way I, I had fallen, I was laying on my, my right arm with all that weight on, and my left arm was completely numb. And so I couldn't unbuckle my pack to get up because with all that weight, there's no way that I was going to stand up with it. And uh, so he came back and um, unbuckled. Well, you're, you're in the crick too, right? Yeah, You're in the exactly. middle of the crick. Right. And so he unbuckled my waist belt and my sternum strap, so I could kind of flop my arm out of that thing to get out of it. And we sat there on the little bank, just me exercising my arm and trying to move it a little bit. And uh, we still had five and a half miles to go with all this weight on. So he helped me get the pack back on and helped me kind of, you know, boost me up to stand me up, got me all cinched up again and everything. And I had to walk out the rest of that trip with my right arm, holding my left arm up in place uh, as a sling, basically. And, uh, man, that was... It, it, I still say it's probably the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, maybe a cool story I can tell my grandkids, I packed out half a bull elk on my back. Well, that's not something I would encourage somebody to do. So uh, thankfully, I wasn't by myself because if I would have been by myself, that could have ended very differently. I mean, I was literally trapped there underneath the weight of all this, you know, this elk meat. And then the worst part is, so we pack out on this death march and we get out of this of this uh, backcountry and the next day, we still got to go back in and get uh, the the rack, the antlers were still back there, our tent, the camera gear, everything was back in there. 
still. And so, oh, and the best part is we thought, oh, we should be able to hike out. No problem. We'll get back before dark. Oh, about halfways back. So still about three miles back. It gets dark on us. My headlamp's back up at camp. I mean, it was just the stupidest thing we've ever done, but it was a good learning experience because it worked out the way it did. But man, that it could have been bad though. You guys were in grizzly country, and yeah, it, that was a long couple I was days. Pretty upset about that whole thing. That was <laughs> that was dumb. Yeah, we had uh, <clears throat> unbeknownst to us, we had uh, half the office was running up a search party to come looking for us, and I mean, it was it was really stupid. It worked out, but it could have gone the other way. For you guys sure, were two so. days late. You, yeah. you were supposed to be out two days earlier, and yep. because of all the stuff, it was bad. Yep. Oh, man, stuff happens quick back there, and those those packouts, too, um, those are those are where you really need to use your head. Like, you've accomplished your goal. You've shot a bull. You've shot a buck. Like, enjoy it and just get that thing out of country. And, and I've been guilty of that, too, of two guys trying to bring out a bull elk or, yep. you know, the one guy and trying to bring, bring out a mule deer and my camp or – you know, and, and anymore, it's, it, it is, it's like a safety issue. And when accidents are going to happen, it, it's most likely when you get all that weight on your back like that, and you're trying to make it out and, and one slip foot, like you in the crick or in a rock slide, you know, that's when your ankle's going to snap or yep. your hand's going to bust. And then you're in a really bad position. And I, yep. I met another backcountry hunter in that mountain range I was talking about in that gnarly one in the missions. And he told me about a buck that he had killed up there. And it was a, a great big buck. I remember like, like, a, like a nine by 11 or one of his best bucks to date. And he had killed it and tried to pack it off the top and took a bad spill. And he got in bad shape out of there. Like, uh, I think he was able to get out of there, but he had to leave the deer in his camp and really hurt himself. I think his buddies had to come back in and pack out his deer in his camp. But um, I know for me, that's the most dangerous time. Like trekking poles really help yeah. to keep your balance as you're going out. But but really just being smart. And um, they build us guys so tough, which is also our downfall, too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we believe we're so tough. And so we try to pack that almost more than we can, you know, sensibly. And, and that's, I, I think, when a lot of injuries happen. And I know for myself, like coming up on this next season, you know, that's going to be one of the things I focus on. When I kill a big buck or I kill a big bull, I'll make as many trips as I can. Like I, I'm built for endurance and that doesn't bother me, but I'm not going to pack too heavy of a load out there and hurt myself. Yeah, that's because why, that's why I take Rieger's. He's this Clyde still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I honestly, I mean, I, these guys have all heard me say this a lot, but that one particular pack trip that our uh, backpack hunt that we were just talking about, I know for a fact it took years off of my legs, you know, doing something like that, which was really stupid. I mean, my joints hurt more. My yeah, knee, didn't you go into knee surgery after that and uh, hip surgery? And that was the next year, actually. Brain when, surgery? <laughs> yeah, I should have had brain <laughs> surgery. A lobotomy, probably. <laughs> but um, it was the next year I had a torn meniscus uh, when we all through hunting season, which I didn't know. I just had this pain in my knee. I thought, ah, uh, you know, you just think, again, you're just going to tough through it, and it's just a little ache that will go away. And I find out after the season that I had a torn meniscus the whole time. And that could have ended even worse. I mean, what if it tore even worse? Or, you know, whenever something hurts, you're favoring it. And so other parts of your body are at risk of seriously getting hurt. And, uh, I mean, it's cool to be tough and everything. But, man, you got to be smart because I don't want to be one of those stories that, you know, you read about in, in some magazines or papers or whatever. It says, my worst day ever and the guy almost died or whatever and i, I mean that's i'm just hoping that's not in my obituary <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and it, it's it's fun to go hard and um, to challenge yourself and go on these grueling hunts and find what you're made of. Um, but you sure have to do it sensibly and you have to do it smart. And like I just had, well, I just had a, a buddy. Um, actually, I just found out he drew a sheep tag today, which is amazing. But he's a horse guy, and he's he's one of the best guys with horses. And you guys have used horses a bunch. Um, but man, those things can be dangerous. And I remember a year ago, um, his wife's sister they had the helicopter out of the backcountry um, when she uh, the horse got bogged down in a mud bog, and then she fell off. I think she broke her collarbone, and then they used a I think it's Delorme or uh, it's a Delorme system now or a Garmin. The I can't. The yeah, Garmin. the inreach and called a helicopter and they were able to communicate back and forth and get helicoptered out of there. Well, this just happened in the Bob like a week ago, and Rob's best friend um, took a spill on a horse and and uh, gosh, he busted five ribs, his clavicle, his uh, yeah, his collarbone and some other injuries and they had to helicopter him out of there but boy it can get dangerous in a hurry and whether you use horses or not but even those horses boy you got to be smart around those things yeah, i used to have a i used to have a outfitter I, I knew really well it says when you're when you're with horses it's not the horse trying to hurt you it's the horse trying not to hurt themselves and you are four feet five feet six feet above ground and, you know, anybody that has anything to do with OSHA realizes, or that's the thing, six foot. If you fall six feet, it's a long ways. And you just, bad things happen. And not to mention when you're dealing with a thousand pound animal, bad things happen yeah, fast. You become the collateral damage yeah, from exactly. a ladder that kicks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guy who taught me how to ride, he said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and you have to plan accordingly. Yep, and just deal with it. That's what happens. But, yeah, you're so good with horses. But you know, every time I'm on one of those things and I'm eight miles back and I haven't used my legs at all, I think to myself, "This is great." <laughs> <laughs> well, they're meant for elk hunting. It's the like back a long chair with ears. <laughs> <laughs> if can be, if done right. It's it's a three legged lawn chair with ears because you never know when it's just going to tip over. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, they're meant for elk hunting and getting elk out of that backcountry, that remote country. Um, but, yeah, you have to be good with them. And, and me, I'm not as comfortable or as confident on those things. And I've been around them and rode them, but just not enough to be able to handle those sketchy situations. So, like, I, I steer clear and try to keep my back in good shape. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, uh, keeping safe on those things. Um, so important. Just a thousand pound anim animal with just a little pea brain. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of right. like a drift boat in really bad, rough water on a bad river where the guys who do it a lot know when they're in trouble need to be on their tip tips of their toes. Yeah. The guys that don't or people that don't don't even know when they're in trouble. That's they don't know what they don't know. Kicked in. That's a great analogy. Like uh, my buddy sent me a video the other day and uh, I've rafted some gnarly whitewater with him on the Olympic Peninsula and everywhere across Montana, and he runs a raft, and they had pulled over to the side after a big rapid. Um, it was on the big hole, and they, it was right by the dam, if anybody knows it, and uh, it's really high water this year, and so he was videoing the next boat that came down, and the next boat that came down had two guys and a young girl in it, and they came down in there, and he videoed them flipping that raft and wow. saved their life. 
He, uh, you know, instantly sent me the video and it's slow motion and I can see the raft and it gets held up in this wave in there. And all of a sudden it's like stuck in the rapid in there. Like it's, it's sucked back in water over the top, the raft flips. And yeah, he, I mean, the phone instantly goes down, but they saved those people's lives, saved the little girl, pulled her out of the water out of there. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, things happen so quick. Yeah. Yeah. And with a horse or backpacking too, like even, you know, packing things out is probably the most dangerous thing I do. But, um, some of that steep country too, um, you can get above your skill set in a hurry on that stuff. Like think you can make it down a little shoot or a little slide and make it down for a stock on a mule deer. And pretty soon, you know, you've got your bow strapped to your pack and you can't go up and you can't go down and your heart's beating out of your chest. Like, you you know, yeah. all of a sudden, like you've got to get a hold of yourself and keep three points of contact on the rock, but it gets sketchy in a hurry. And you just got to make sure that you don't let that male ego push you that's where uh, eating the elephant one bite at a time becomes a real problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, oh, just one more step, one more. You know, if I can get just over that rise <laughs> and you get over the rise, you're like, okay, there's just one more rise. Pretty soon you get to a situation where you can't go either way. I call that the sweaty hand test. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, if my hands you starts, have one of those. I, I have. If, if, uh, if, I, if my hands start sweating, you better start backing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the, you had one this fall, didn't you? Uh, no, it was a couple of years ago. Scott and I were hunting a high country mule deer. And, and from a distance, it looked like this nice deer trail we can navigate across this little basin to get to this other basin where we saw some deer come to find and, out it was a sheep trail <laughs> yeah pretty much or come to find out i wasn't a deer <laughs> and we get about halfway across this thing and i stopped and, and it was scott and a fr- uh, friend of ours named patrick isaacson and and they're both like what are you doing did the deer see us or what are you, what are you doing i'm like go back what do you mean go back we got to go forward. The deer. I go like, go back right now. My hands are sweating. <laughs> and so we started backpedaling on that trail. I had to find a different route over to him. But yeah, that's why, I mean, even just thinking of sketchy elevation situations where you're losing your footing. Oh, that reminds me. One time, um, I, I, I'm from uh, Western North Dakota. Band and camp. I, and I hunt, Yeah, one time at band camp. Uh, this isn't one of those stories. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, I, I grew up. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, grew, I grew up hunting the Badlands, which isn't high country by any stretch of the imagination. And you think, oh, it's pretty easy to navigate around in and more tighter canyons. You can bounce around a country quicker and everything. Um, and I've, I've literally walked that country as long as I could walk pretty much. I mean, I've hunted it my whole life. But during the heat of the day one time over a Labor Day weekend, it was, oh, pushing 100 degrees. And we were taking a break during the midday heat. And uh, my dad and I were taking a little uh, break under this juniper tree in the shade, and he was sawing logs. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go down to the creek below and refill my water bladder because it was so hot. We're going through liquid like crazy. And I left my pack and everything up there. And I took, at the time, I, I was uh, shooting my recurve, and I had my binoculars around my neck and my bladder in one hand. And I got down to the creek, and I filtered water and did all that. And I started working my way back up and get to the point of one of those bentonite uh, hillsides and you know how they they're really steep on the top and they kind of plateau out to a little sidewalk almost and i was walking along that little sidewalk to get back to where my dad was and just brutally hot outside and about halfway through uh the side of this butte the uh the sidewalk ended basically (laughs) for about three feet and i thought i'm not gonna walk all the way back down and around i have to waste time going up there um 
so I'm just going to quick skirt across it and I'll be fine. And so I get halfway across this opening and I realized I couldn't go forward and I couldn't go backward, just like what we were saying earlier. And uh, the sweaty hand test, I mean, my hands are sweating like crazy and I'm looking down below me and there's basically nothing below me. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to step real quick to get to that other edge of that sidewalk and, uh, and keep walking. And as soon as I lifted that one foot, boom, I was down and I fell like 30 feet. And the, I, I, somehow I ended up head first going backwards on my back and my bow went one direction and my bladder that was full went the other direction and the binoculars came up and punched me in the face. I was pretty sure I was going to have a black eye. And, uh, when I finally stopped, I was grabbing sagebrush plants as I'm going down. I finally stopped and I didn't want to move because I was afraid I broke something. And, uh, I, I got my wits about me and everything and stood up and I realized nothing was broken. And my, my back was just road rashed, like, like, just terrible. I was bleeding and everything. And I, I, I composed myself and got myself back up to where I was supposed to get to. But even in the, even in a place that doesn't seem like that big a country, you know, on that bad landsy broken type, uh, breaks type country, man, stuff can happen fast. I remember looking down as soon as my feet slept and before I ended up going down head first, the last thing I remember is looking down at my boots and seeing nothing underneath them and honestly thinking, well, it's been a good run. <laughs> I, this is where I'm going to die. I mean, in a split second, all that stuff goes through your head. And thankfully, I didn't die quite yet. But anyway, that's another one of those stories that just is scary. Man, I'm with you. You don't have to be in the gnarliest type of country to be in steep terrain. Like even that breaks style country, whether it's the Missouri River breaks or the eastern Montana that I've hunted, like there's there's steep, sketchy spots everywhere. And the, mm-hmm. the moment you push past your skill level, just like you, that is the scariest story I've ever heard. Like 30 feet of just uncontrolled slide of road rash down your back, and you ended up head first going down that thing. I mean, yeah, you're lucky you didn't hurt something worse. Yeah, but definitely. It, it's amazing how quick you get in those scenarios. And sometimes, I mean, like this this last hunt, I was in Hawaii, like hunting mouflon. Like, I mean, the... Uh, you can't make a mistake. If you go slipping down 30 feet, you're going 130 feet to the <laughs> bottom, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's confidence in your skills. And for me, like, uh, heights don't bother me that much, which can actually be my downfall. But I just have to know that I can't push past my skill level. If I don't feel comfortable or if I feel nervous, I know something's wrong and that I need to find a different way. And I, I always say, like, you're so driven and you're, you're hunting these deer and you, you want to kill a nice buck. Um, but it's not worth it. Like you got to live to hunt another day. Yeah. I, I remember that line from that movie alone, uh, that kind of a documentary movie alone in the wilderness where Dick Prennicky built the cabin up in Alaska's wilderness and lived out there for, I don't know, three or four decades. And, uh, one of his lines from his journals, uh, that the narrator reads in that film is he's up on some pretty steep ledges above his, uh, cabin and he said, one false step up here, and a man's going to have to meet with his maker right now. And, man, it can change in a heartbeat. Yeah, especially all of us, you know, dream of hunting these these mountain sheep or mountain goats or high country mule deer, uh, even elk for that matter, or badlands mule deer. Like, it'll put you in some steep situations where you're going to have to make some decisions that are going to determine your, your safety or uh, determine, you know, whether you, you're going to have to make a smart decision. And, and you just, 
want to make sure that you don't let that male ego or you don't let your buddy talk you into something you're not comfortable with because yeah i mean it could it could change your whole life and that that one hunt isn't worth it to live to hunt another 10 years you know is is your end goal to keep enjoying it yep yeah and enjoy it safely i think that i think that's why you know one one of the attractants to this is it's it's not a guarantee and your your safety your comfort isn't a guarantee and it's why we do this and it's the adventure of the whole situation i mean in this this whole conversation rarely have we talked about about the you know the trophy or the success it's it's about the adventure of it and that's that's what attracts me to it is constantly testing myself and and um and you know walking along and helping other people test themselves and having them pick me up out of the creek with you know a broken shoulder or whatever that's that's part of the fun but there's limits to that don't don't take it to the nth degree you can you can uh, you can be stupid way further than you can be smart there's a there's a very fine line between being stupid and adventure and knowing where that line is, is is one of man's strongest suits if he can figure that out and knowing knowing his personal point for not crossing it and then also having having a partner that knows where that line is like surrounding yourself with people who hunt the same style as you do but are also willing to call you out on when, nah, that's probably a little more stupid than we need to be. Um, my buddy that I grew up hunting with, Travis, he's really, we joke that he's the mountain goat, but he's fantastic at knowing when and where he can't go. He also maintains his composure incredibly well. Like I learned the, you know, Brandon, the carving foothold trick that, you know, we did, you, you mm-hmm. can do a lot like in region G and H on a steep hillside, carve a foothold, you know, as you're working through these deer trails. Cause what they don't tell you is, a deer trail is slanted like it's not actually like this flat thing carved out by humans so it's actually slanted so it's just a, it's it's just there's no vegetation there it's a, and so you can carve a foothold on it while maintaining your composure while you carve a foothold and things like that well a deer's foot's yeah surface areas is a lot smaller than yours mm-hmm. a ton smaller than yours. yeah so and and having someone who's willing to willing to call your bluff and say no this is this is a dumb idea i'm sorry that buck over there is not in a good spot to go stock we got three more days let's watch it that patience level um that's critical yeah that decision making it's so important and and i uh, like everybody's made such good points but you're right i like um that that danger that adventure is why we do it like uh Today's day and age, everything seems so safe. And even though probably the most dangerous thing you do is driving down the highway. <laughs> we at did 60 it today. Miles. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Making that left at the light or, you know, it's uh, so it is dangerous, but you just don't feel it the same way. Like when you're on a backcountry hunt, like your, your own mortality and your own safety is in your hands. And that adventure, that feeling you get, it is part of the reason why we do it. But um, like Scott was saying that. Being able to reason and make smart decisions, um, that's the key to being a successful backcountry hunter. You know, knowing, you know, where you can make it and where you can make it across safely and where you can and it isn't worth it. And it's, 
Like to and make getting the sweaty palms going. Oh, oh, I'm I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, back up, back and, up. And being able to turn back, like it's it's tough to turn back when you've committed to a stock or committed to making it across the hillside to actually go. You know, this is steeper than I thought when I get up here. Like I I can't make this safely. I'd rather take three hours and return to my family after this hunt's done than to try to you know take this shortcut across this steep terrain and and. You know, I, I've pushed it past where I need to, and I've learned those lessons to where I can keep myself safe. But yeah, to all those guys out there, like just uh, smart decisions in the backcountry to make sure you come and hunt another day. And, and talking about vehicles, like that's something that isn't discussed that I don't think I've even talked about on the podcast, but being prepared in your vehicle, like you can put yourself in a dangerous situation, just getting to the trailhead. Like I think of, um, you know, your truck, like not having something to jump your truck and, and you're living out of your truck and you're, you know, sometimes you're 50 miles from the closest paved road and there's nobody around and you're living out of your truck and, and you just, um, you put this confidence that that thing's going to start every time you turn the key. And that's not the case. Like you have to, you know, you have to have your spare tire in there. You've got to have a kit to fix a tire when you get a flat. Like I've got a, a kit to jump my truck. Like if the battery's dead, like those are things you all need to, like we all need to think about when we're going on a hunt because the truck seems like the, the safest part of the hunt. But, but really like you, you've got to have, you know, every, all your T's crossed and your I's dotted, like even in your vehicle when you're traveling to and from a hunt, because that could strand you 50 miles away from the nearest yeah. paved road. And, yeah. and 10 miles to the truck is, yeah. is nothing compared to the truck to town. Yeah. How, how many people, I, maybe I'm alone, but about the last mile and a half, I start thinking, okay, I really hope that truck starts, or <laughs> I really hope I didn't lose the key, or I hope the truck's there. That happens to me every single time. Isn't that the truth? Well, and all those things you mentioned, that uh, spare key, the hide-a-key, like to have one of those on the outside of your truck, and sometimes I'll just run a key on the inside of my truck and figure I'll bust it with a rock if I had to get (laughs) in there or something. But just having those little backups in place and thinking of those things, yeah, they could absolutely save your hunt and save your life out there. And a lot of these places, you know, it's... It's not going to be lack of food that kills you. It's going to be dehydration. And if you're, like you say, 20, 30, 40, 100 miles away from the or nearest the town, yeah, try to get get out there and get to safety before, you know, trying to, to manage your water to get back there. So it could be a real dangerous situation. So I think it's just something that, that I don't think about very much. Um, but I've made all the mistakes, and so I've got everything in place. But it's something that we all need to think about and keep, you know, uh, our, our trucks and vehicles so they're going to run and going to start every time when we get back to them. Yeah, and I, this portion I, of the podcast is brought to you by O'Reilly's. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. O'Reilly, our new sponsor. Oh, <laughs> that would have been a great segment. Right? <laughs> it would have been. I need to look out for that. Um, well, and I've had buddies strand their trucks, too, like in that mud, in the brakes, where I had one Whoa. buddy that had to leave his truck for two weeks, and I had to go pick him up in there, and then I had to take him back two weeks later and help pull out his truck, like that That mud a, and the brakes. I had like, a buddy who never believe it. They never no. believe the extremity of it when it's dry and dusty, and yep. you tell them don't be out there when it's wet. Yep. A, a lot of people never. I had a buddy that left it. his truck in the Forest Service all winter this <laughs> year. Wow! I mean, and it was that snow is amazing. It was trashed by the time he got it out of there. Mirrors broke off from just snow weight. Tires popped. I mean, it was a mess, a mess by the time he got it out this spring. 
Yeah, you're you're right, guy. That that mud. You could tell everybody about it, but until you're there and you experience it, and your vehicle can't move anywhere, and you can't pull over on the grass, or you, there's just no base to it. It's yeah. all mud. It's all clay, and it's the slickest stuff you've ever been Slicker in. Slicker than ice. Yeah, you're just stranded. There's nothing you can do. You got to wait it out. But that's another place. You know, we talked about um, you know steep terrain and making smart decisions and coming to hunt another day. That's another place where you have to make smart decisions in your vehicle and my buddies they will push me to go for especially if it's not their truck (laughs) but (laughs) you have to make your own decisions when you're on a hunt whether you can make it or whether you can't and and that's another place not to push it like it isn't worth you know rolling your twenty thousand dollar vehicle down a hill or nowadays they're 40 or 50 but to roll that down the hill and have to try to explain that to your insurance or get hurt you know worse yet or stranded and have to hike out but it's another place where um just the decision-making process in, in every facet of your hunt is so important. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, growing up in that Badlands country, we I can't tell you how many times we were driving on two tracks on, uh, say, a ranch we used to hunt on or whatever that you would, you know, you're used to driving on because normally it's really dry. But once in a while when the snow is melting or if it's raining – there was, I can think of two specific incidences when I was younger uh, hunting with my dad that I was convinced we were sliding into a canyon, a deep, dark canyon, that it probably would have been the end of us, or at least it, for sure the end of the vehicle. And uh, it's just not worth it. I mean, the, it, either go home or get out and walk, quit quit driving around on that country, even though that's the type of country you generally do hit those two tracks and kind of cover country a little different than in the high country, but... Um, it's just not worth it. And the worst is when the, you have four inches or six inches of snow in that in that early first couple snows, and then it turns to mud. And you went out there, and everything was nice and frozen, easy to get out there. You turn around and come back, and it becomes yeah. a real gong show. What was the term today? Tire uh, fire. Tire fire. <laughs> <laughs> used to be dumpster fire. Yeah, used to, yeah. <laughs> a.k.a. dumpster fire. Hot mess, something. <laughs> well, and um, yeah, you put uh, that wet snow, that ice, that mud, you put any of that and, and just put a little slope on that hillside sloping towards the downhill side oh, and look out. You could slide off the abyss and that stuff. Like it just doesn't take much. No. Any angle sliding towards that, it just isn't worth it. Like uh, go hunt a different place, go hike in, go do something different. But you just, you can't make a bad decision or it could cost you, you know, thousands of dollars or cost you your life, cost you your hunt, you know, yep. whatever the case is. But yeah, even in those vehicles, got to make smart decisions. Yep. Yep, and and when it's not your buddy's truck, they push you to go for it. <laughs> we had, um, gosh, I've been in so many. Um, well, I've been in vehicle mishaps, but I've never really, you know, wrecked a vehicle or or done. You know, I've been stuck a couple times for sure. Um, but yeah, that that breaks country and in that gumbo mud. Um, I, I've blown up a tranny in there too. The the <laughs> one you're trying to get out of there, man. Oh man, it was just brutal. Um, but just having, having enough supplies on you too, enough water, enough food. And in that mud country of the breaks, a rainstorm comes in, like you either got to get out of there or you got to stay in there. You just figure, I'm just going to stay. I'm going to let the weather get better. I'll hunt for my vehicle. I'm going to let it dry out or. Yeah, Cause that country, it, when it dries, if you get a nice breeze and a little sun, it dries fast. Yep. It's not, it's not, uh 
can't get it. We don't have to get out of there right now. That's the attitude you got to have. You don't have to get out of there right now. You don't feel like you're like you're stranded there. And, and then too, like a lot of times in that mud, you'll get a cold night and then it'll freeze, freeze. it. And then you drive out like it's yeah. solid ground, you know, yeah. when it's frozen like that. One um, of, I had an old, had an old guy tell me one time. He said the problem with the young people now. He was looking at me, is we all think we have to go somewhere fast. We got to be there now. We got to do this now. We have, you know, it's all time frame. Because when we go hunting, we tell our wives, "Yeah, we're going for a week. I might see you in two weeks." That's just the world we live in. Now with cell phones and the internet and texting and in reaches and all this stuff, we're on a time schedule. It's got to be from point A to point B. When you look at all these old guys, I'm reminded of Guy and I's grandfather. They they'd go to the Northwest Territories and they'd be gone for 90 days. I say 90 days. It could have been 97 days. It could have been 82 days. It could have been 104 days. Just how it worked. It was just time. Just time. We'll be gone. And when we get back, great. If we don't get back, that's what happens. And, you know, it's just it, it's a, we have we have put ourselves on a time schedule. Now we go up there. Oh, we've got a 10 day hunt. We've got two days up there, two days back. We'll be back by the, you know, on the 14th day and everything's going to be good. My wife calls me on 14 and a half days. I better be in service, you know, <laughs> just moving on. That's, that's not where this all came from. It's all came from, we're going, me and the hunting party are going out to kill something. We'll be back with meat. If we're not back, you're going to be really hungry. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. I like that too. I like that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be gone for ten days, roughly. Yeah. <laughs> it might be twelve. It <laughs> yeah. may be thirteen. That had to be wild. Um, we had a, well, if we're not back by Christmas, uh, call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, guy and I grew up in a in a deal that if if it if it got the second day, if it was on the second day, you said you were supposed to be home by, on the first, and if it was on the second or third, usually the end of the second, then then the search party came out because you can live. I mean, even with a broken arm, broken leg, you can live for 24 hours pretty easy. I mean, let's not get crazy. It's not the end of the world. Um, and if you're dead, well, as my dad say, well, we'll find your carcass somewhere. Yeah, you're, you're still going <laughs> to be dead in two days, even yeah. if you're dead now. Exactly. <laughs> More than likely, it happened on a seven on the seventh day of a 10-day hunt because you took one step too many. <laughs> um, man, that had to be wild with Gordon Eastman – 90 days in the Northwest Territory. You talk about an adventure and unexplored at that point, right? Yeah, he was yeah. like the, the first guy and they let him go in there and they basically they gave those guys free roam, right? There was no tags or yeah. no limits. Yeah. They just got to go explore the Northwest Territories and got to film their whole adventure back in there. And it was, um, uh, remind me again, it was three buddies, right? Yeah. Yep. It was him and two buddies. Him and him and two, two of his buddies that, and it, and it, he was back there in 90 days and there were some guys that came in and a couple guys that came out. And I mean, it was, it wasn't like three guys in 90 days. Cause I'm pretty sure one of them would have walked out and the other two would have been dead, but um, it was a long time. It basically the entire summer, which is pretty cool, man. Um, that's the essence of adventure, like exploring someplace that nobody's ever, I mean, uh, nobody's ever hunted or nobody's ever documented. documented yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, and how much tougher they they were than us too. I mean, oh, now man. I complain if my jet boils like point two ounces too heavy, <laughs> and you look at that old footage, and 
Gordon's got a cowboy hat on, and he's got crappy boots and slacks and a flannel shirt. And their tents are the old, you know, everything they have is old World World War Two surplus wood tents frame and, packs, and yeah, tents look like they came from the from the Boy Scouts handbook. They're triangles and yeah. wood frame backpacks. And, and what was it, guy, that we weighed his old Bolex camera and oh. that wooden tripod? How much did that weigh again? Wasn't it like 85 pounds total or something like that? We weighed that around the office one yeah, day. Yeah, some 54 pounds or something. And now and we... That's, and that's just the camera and the tripod. That's batteries. not all the film, the batteries. Right. And, and not, that's not counting his gear to yeah. survive. I mean, we don't even know what tough is. <laughs> we don't. No. I try to pride myself on my toughness of these backcountry hunts and and uh, you know mental fortitude. But I look back at my grandpa, and my dad. We grew up in the Pacific Northwest, where uh, it just rains absolutely nonstop, and you're busting reprod. And then, uh, you know, I got my you're dad. Doing what? Uh, we call it reprod, so it's really thick, like um, evergreen trees that grow, like underbrush that you're constantly fighting through. Uh-huh. And um, reprod, yeah, reproduction, so, yeah, reproduction trees, Repro- yeah. So, oh, so where they've logged the, the it, they've replanted it, ah. yeah. But it just grows super thick because you're in a rainforest, so you've got to just fight your way through it. Gotcha. This this underbrush or this reprod, but yeah, I I got my dad and his brothers together in a wall tent this year and got to just sit back and hear these stories uh, of back in the day, you know. And that's just one generation back. You're talking about Gordon Eastman two generations back, but even just one generation. My dad and his brothers, like I kind of know them as getting older, and um, you know, they're they're still uh, able and they still hunt really hard, but. Back in their younger day, I don't know if I could have kept up with those guys. They were crazy. They didn't have any of the same gear that we did. No backpacking knowledge, nothing. They just disappeared back into that Pacific Northwest to go chase blacktails. I mean, soaking wet. Uh, um, you know, the the reindeer they had, the only stuff they had was like a deadliest catch, Helly Hansen reindeer, you know, yeah. that thick stuff that... You, you dang near get as wet sweating underneath it than you do, you know. Might if well you wear a plastic sack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, a boot's just wet as all get out and, and just days. And they would backpack way back into that, that backcountry and hump back there. But, yeah, they just built men tougher in those, you know. Life has just got easier for us guys. And we like to challenge ourselves on this hunt and believe we're tough. But um, those okay. guys like Gordon Eastman or even a generation back, um, uh, those guys were built tough. Once again, it's just progression. Those guys went, there's got to be something that will keep my dumb ass dry, right? <laughs> so they went about and figured out, oh, there's Gore-Tex. Look at this stuff. This is kind of cool. Let's wear that back there. And then it just progressed mm-hmm. further and further and further and further. Yeah. That's what I, one of my favorite quotes from when uh, I think it was a year ago or something when Sicko was coming out with some new gear. I think it was their subalpine collection. That that <laughs> this is a Barclow quote. Uh, yeah, it? it is. It's one of my favorite <laughs> quotes. I, John Barclow, who's the big game product designer, and and I just you know love his mentality on things. And and one of his quotes on one of their films promoting this new year coming out was, he said, "Yeah, you can hunt with lesser gear, but why? You know, back in the Gordon Eastman and Mike Eastman days, and all of our dads and whatever, they didn't have other options, and so." Yeah, can we go out and hunt in blue jeans and flannel shirts? Sure. I mean, they've people have been doing that for decades, but we don't have to anymore. Right. So why? The why level do that to yourself. The level of miserable <coughs> has been replaced with idiot. 
<laughs> nowadays, if you're that miserable, you're an idiot. Yep. There's, there's equipment that will keep you from being that miserable. Back then, they literally had to be miserable. Like tonight, we're watching it rain out there. They'd have, you'd have to be out there. No Gore-Tex, just yep. your wool, your pup tent, swimming yep. around, dumping water out of it tomorrow morning. Yep. That's yep. Now, if you swim around in it and dump water out of your tent, should have bought Hilleberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like we were talking at dinner, too, that story about uh, when I was on that backpack hunt for mule deer up in the high country in Colorado here a few years ago. And uh, uh, me and uh, our, the camera guy that was with me, Sam Soholt, we're, we're hiking up and, and going up 3,000 vertical feet in like two and a half miles, and it's just kicking our butts. And we stopped halfway to camp that night. And the next morning... We hear somebody hiking, and this isn't up a trail. I mean, you had a bushwhack through this stuff, and we hear somebody coming. Like, oh, great, other hunters are coming up. And uh, we'd been glassing from where we were camping that morning before we started hiking again. And here comes a guy with a field line pack, uh, you know, military BDUs, a bandana on his head, and a flannel shirt, and he's just chugging. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and he's just chugging along. And I remember Sam looking at me going, do you think some people are just too stupid to feel pain? <laughs> <laughs> Which, like I said, that's a, the idiot factor. And I don't know that guy. I'm not trying to pick on that individual. But it was just funny because I was thinking the same thing, thinking he's either way tougher than I am or way dumber than I am. And I don't know, maybe a little both. I don't, I don't know. Not that I'm that smart either, but everybody's <laughs> heard all my mishap stories today. So I <laughs> must not be very intelligent, but um, – yeah, it's just, I mean, not that everybody can afford the best of the best of the best of the best, but there's a lot of good stuff out there now that there's really almost no excuse for having some really good gear. The, I mean, we're living in the technological explosion in the hunting market, and it's almost every day you think they can't top that, and they do. It doesn't matter if it's clothing or rifles or boots or bows or packs, whatever. Packs, yeah, packs especially, man, is really Glass. grown. Yeah, optics, man, it's just... It's it's a really fun time to be at this age. <laughs> and well, well, and even just in our generation, you see how far things have come. But but when we all started, yeah. there wasn't all this quality gear out there. There wasn't all this this information age out there where you could learn about all this stuff, shorten your learning curve. Like you had to go out there and you had to suffer and uh, yep. learn through hard knocks and. Um, but, but, yeah, today's day and age, we have to take advantage of it and have the, the best gear out there to be as comfortable as we can, which makes us more effective in the mountains for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, well, um, yeah, it it's all a learning curve. Some people just learn a little quicker than others. And um, some people mo have more information, you know, at their fingertips, like today's day and age. Um, so, yeah, there's no excuse. The idiot factor it, is alive and well today. <laughs> and, don't, and don't you think it's trusted information? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a, a few, huge fly fisherman guy, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express tonight. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, the, the problem with the internet is it's a plethora of information. The problem with the internet is it's a plethora of information. You can't, you can't trust everything that's out there. Too many times I've tried to build that nuclear weapon and it just will not reach white. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just, and so it's the trusted, yeah, these guys have actually done it. And yeah, these guys have whatever. I mean, it's not just us. It's there's there's a ton of information in the hunting industry, and then there's a ton of gear. Some of it great, some of it not so much. And 
you know, looking at the right place and the right time and the right people and the right manufacturing is key and believing it. Boy, that's a good point. There is so much information out there. And like I was just having a, a discussion with my wife and she was talking about, oh, I love to, to read the reviews on things before I buy. But you, you can't decipher which no. idiot is reviewing what on there when you get on there. You could read 50 negative and 50 positive, like trying to decipher through that. And you're right, that information on the yep. Internet, like you definitely want to be listening to guys that 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 walk the walk but you know also uh, that talk the talk but also walk the walk that are that are out there doing it and succeeding out in the back country because to trust anybody's opinion that only spends you know five to ten days in the back country that's not the opinion you want to go for you want to go for somebody that's tried and true and has been there and done that so you know that makes a really good point yeah. is is uh, the information day and age but there's a lot of information out there make sure you're getting the right information we've all stayed at the hotel that was affordable excellence <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, guy ended up with some bites from that place. I think. <laughs> we were coming back from our trip last year, and uh, we uh, decided to stop. Well, we didn't have a hotel lined up, and we just thought, well, we'll make it as far as we can make it. And so we started searching the internet, and um, I don't think it was me that found the hotel, but uh, it, may it have was. Been. <laughs> Idaho Falls. Hey guys, I got this really good deal on the internet. Travel yeah, it, in the West it, in the summer. It looks like a great hotel, and their slogan is affordable excellence. And, <laughs> and uh, so we stayed there, and it was affordable, a gnarly yes. hotel. Excellence, no. Oh, I don't need much to sleep, but this place, like I laid down in bed, I can't even remember. I think I was bunking with Ike, and I couldn't stop laughing because of all the spider webs that were up in the corners. And the, we kept and, saying we'd be better <laughs> off on the lawn. Oh. It, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the best. It was definitely affordable excellence. <laughs> My favorite was the the replacement toilet seat in your guys' bathroom. So like most public toilets are those oblong, really huge toilet basins, and then there's like some ten dollar Walmart special toilet replacement seat that missed the front of the bowl by about three inches or six or I mean, six. It, yeah. yeah, it was it was, so it was a whole separate toilet. toilet. It was an oval <laughs> toilet with a round seat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, well, yeah, this podcast has been so fun, you guys. Um, 100 episodes down. Um, like, this is the essence of it. Like, getting together with good friends and talking over things like mishaps in the backcountry. So, just can't thank you guys enough for all your work on the podcast. And, and uh, we'll just keep working hard to bring out good content and, and uh, share it with our listeners. Yeah, we got, you know, the, the listener base has grown so much. It's really surprised all of us how quickly it's grown and you know i think brian you're doing such a great job of just pumping out good content and having great guests on except for tonight yeah it really had a shoddy <laughs> group but <laughs> but yeah. usually having really good guests on and and you know like we always say we're not trying to sell out to sponsors or this and that we work with such great partners and it's really a pleasure to you know to have them on board with what we're doing and being able to use the guest the the best gear on the planet and um and and be able to talk about it and and uh use it in our backcountry expedition so it's all really coming together it's fun absolutely well yeah thanks a bunch guys let's catch some z's and we'll start again tomorrow sounds good okay all right guys that's a wrap 
really fun, lighthearted podcast. Uh, I always enjoy hanging out with those guys, and they're such a wealth of knowledge. Um, but that was a fun one, fun recording for me. Um, sponsor for today's show is Onyx. Uh, Onyx has just changed the way I scout and hunt. Uh, what a great app to be able to use it on your computer to scout, on your phone. You don't need cell service to be able to use the GPS, and you can save the maps on there. And they, they've just thought of everything, and they have you know more features than I can even list. They're constantly thinking of, of new ways to improve our hunting experience. And it just gives me confidence in where I'm at, confidence to navigate, confidence in my, my public and private. They're just a, a great company. Can't thank them enough for sponsoring the podcast. So uh, make sure to give some support to Onyx. And with that, yeah, we finished up the tour. Gosh, some great recordings, you know, with the Eastmans. And then we did one at Kennetrack about, oh, foot care and, and boot care and, and managing moisture and just all this information. You know, I learned a lot from it. That'll be a great one as well. Great one at Onyx that we did about all the tech features that they offer. And I call it... Uh, cheats that they have but it's actually just features that they have that are available to everybody it's just learning how to use them all and and utilize them all so that was fun got some good recordings we're going to release a couple to you this week i think we're going to release three this week i've got a a great one with um, mike glover from fieldcraft survival a great one on mindset and modern survival just a really fun one but we got some good podcasts coming up you guys and and just trying to you know, trying to keep on it, um, trying to to get those quality recordings that are going to help you guys out in the field. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really excited at the future of the podcast. And we've got 100 episodes now released to you guys. And, yeah, hopefully we we keep this train rolling and, and uh, able to do 100 more and hopefully improve along the way. So I uh, can't thank you guys enough for all the support on the social media, the podcast reviews, and, and any time I... You know, I, I ask for questions or, or anything like that on the podcast. You guys are always great to respond. And, and uh, you know, I just want to be here to, to help you guys out as well and be more successful. Man, am I looking forward to hunting season. So finished up the Hawaii trip, which was just absolutely amazing. And and uh, finished up bear season. I ended up my bear season there before I went to Hawaii. Great season. I didn't end up tagging a bear, but um, in bow range of three different bears and, and pass one up too small. And the other two, I would have loved to get narrow in, but, uh, just wasn't in the cards. And, um, so I will have my, my bear tag, uh, is good in the spring. It's also good in the fall. So I'll have to chase those things around a little bit in the fall and see if I can't fill out on that one. But I just got some great tags and some great hunts coming up. And, um, I am just going to go for it during season here. I've really ramped up my training and my running and, and, uh, just trying to get my body and myself, uh, ready for season. I'm also working on my shooting and I'm just really focused, dedicating, you know, a, at least a couple hours every single day to, to my preparation of these hunts and, and uh, really diving into to map research and topography and where I'm going to go and game plans and penciling everything out. Um, you watch. Um, this is going to gonna be a good season, um, you know, for all of us, uh, you know, in the, the whole Eastman's Elevated community. But, um, man, I'm going to turn up some good critters this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some perfect arrows in some good critters, and, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really hold out. I'm going to enjoy my time of field, and I'm going to go hard. I'm going to be in the best shape I've ever been in, uh, shoot my bow the, the best I've ever shot. Like, uh, 
I'm coming into this season swinging, and I, I just I can't wait for this this backcountry test or this backcountry challenge. Um, I'm so ready for it. Uh, I'm going to have my mind right, body right. I'm going to be firing off all cylinders, and, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to take it all in. Life's short, and got to spend as much time doing what you love to do as you can. Um, that, to me, is, is the... The, the secret to life. I mean, um, you know, money does make the, the world go round and having yourself in a good financial position is, is really important. But, you know, if, if, if I wanted to be a millionaire, you know, I would have to love chasing money. And, and that's just not my passion. My passion is, is spending time out in the outdoors and experiences. And so, you know, having a million dollars isn't being rich to me in life, being married to my job where I can't get away or I only get a week a year to enjoy what I love to do. Like to me, being wealthy is being able to spend, you know, over a hundred days a year out in the, the wilderness or out in the, the mountains, you know, chasing the critters I like to chase. And that's what truly makes me happy. And so, um, I just want to, I want to focus on that and, and, you know, I, I, I want to spend as much time chasing critters as I can and enjoying the outdoors as I can, because that's what I absolutely love to do. So, okay, I'm rambling on. I got to finish this up, get this released to you guys and get these other podcasts ready to release for the week here and get my run in and shoot my bow uh, day in, day out. So keep working hard towards your goals, guys. I mean, fall is right around the corner. And, um, you know, once season gets here, there's no more improvement you can do as far as your shooting and your fitness. And you never get into season and, and wish you'd shot less or wish you'd been a worse shot with your bow. Like you're always, you know, the skills you have in season are, are the skills that you've earned throughout the off season. And so right now's the time. Be getting in your runs, getting in your workout, shooting that bow day in, day out, improving your skill set because uh, season's right around the corner. And I know that's what I'll be doing. And uh, if I know my listeners, if I know you guys, you'll be doing the same. So thanks again for all the support. Um, check in with you later this week.